the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Thursday, April the 8th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on April 8, 1864, the United States Senate passed 38 to 6, the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, abolishing slavery. House of Representatives passed it in January. The amendment was ratified and adopted in December of 1865. We are the only country in the history of the world that has fought a war against ourselves, amongst ourselves, over a moral issue. So when you hear the people, the naysayers, telling you how bad America is, how racist we are, take that with a grain of salt. We're a country of very imperfect people because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I will tell you, America is good. The people in America are good. Not perfect, but good. We went to war with ourselves over an issue of slavery. I wish some people could recognize that and do so a little more publicly. But anyway, that became law today, or the process started today in 1864. Today in 1513, explorer Ponce de Leon and his expedition began exploring the Florida, the Florida coastline. I remember when I was a little kid in school, he used to always tell us about that when we were studying history. I kind of laughed about it, and I thought, oh, the fountain of youth, that's crazy. That's what Ponce de Leon was looking for. I've got to admit, now at this point in my life, I kind of wish he would have found it. I'd like to buy a bottle of that water, but... I don't believe he did find it, but he was looking for it. Today in 1820, the Venus de Milo statue was discovered by a farmer on a Greek island of Milos. Big find. Today in 1913, the 17th Amendment to the Constitution, providing for popular election of U.S. senators. Prior to that, um, that was ratified. Prior to that, uh, they were appointed by state legislatures. Only since today, in 1913, have we, by popular popular election, chosen our senators. Wouldn't that be nice in Washington State if we could... Uh... Today, in 1952, President Harry S. Truman seized the American steel industry to avert a nationwide strike. Interestingly, later on, the Supreme Court ruled that Truman had overstepped his authority as president. That opened the way for a seven-week strike by steelworkers. Today in 1974, Hank Aaron of the Atlanta Braves hit his 715th career home run in a game against the L.A. Dodgers. That broke Babe Ruth's all-time home run record. Today in 1994, Kurt Cobain, he was a singer, guitarist. He had the uh, had a grunge, what they call grunge band uh, called Nirvana. Grunge music originated in Seattle, became very, very popular in the 90s. Kurt Cobain was kind of the face and voice of all of that, very popular, very successful in selling records. It was the kind of music I never listened to. It's, it's just awful, but it was very popular. 
But he was found dead today in his apartment or a house, I guess, in Seattle. Self-inflicted gunshot wound. He was 27 years old. Hopeless, clearly, and troubled. One year ago today, Senator Bernie Sanders ended his presidential bid after he and Joe Biden had sat down and had a heart-to-heart talk that made Joe Biden the presumptive Democratic nominee to challenge President Donald Trump. The way that Biden stayed out of sight, honestly, he did. I mean, he just stayed in his basement. He had that little studio down there, probably still does. Who actually thought that he would be elected? president of the United States. I guess some did. I really didn't. I didn't want him to be, but aside from my own desires, I just didn't see how he could possibly be elected as president of the United States because he just he didn't campaign. He didn't really do anything. And when he spoke, it was so halting and hesitant. And I say that with, with respect, really, for him. I, I mean, we all get to that point if we live long enough. I think he got there a little early, frankly, but nonetheless, I, I do. I say that with, with empathy. But, man, the president of the United States? Yeah, he is. I don't know. A lot of people are discouraged in our country today. I, I hear that. So I'm not complaining about being discouraged. Just, man, everything is just so hard and so overwhelming. And, you know, a little over a year ago, we started this this, you know, what we were then calling Wuhan virus without any racial discrimination intent. But China schooled us on that. And they said, yeah, you're racist because you're calling it Wuhan virus. Well, we always had had identified viruses. I mean, they've come before. Uh, we identified where they came from in the world. E- Ebola and all these are connected to rivers and areas of, of Africa or Asia or wherever they, it, they came from. But all of a sudden, China declared the moral giant on the on the earth, of course. They declared that we were racist because we were calling it the Wuhan virus because it originated in Wuhan, China. But since then, it has so, and there's been so much misinformation and so much stuff that's put out there. And I mean, nobody really trusts much. I mean, there's a new Rasmussen poll out today, or actually it came out last night, saying there was like, I, 55 or 60 percent of the people in America say that they don't trust the news media at all with news. They just don't believe that they're telling the truth. They believe that they're in the tank with Joe Biden and that it's more important that they advance his agenda. This is a, a national poll. It's more important that they ad, advance his agenda than it is that they tell the public the truth. So we look around and it can become very discouraging. I mean, I understand that I'm a half, you know, half full, not a half empty glass kind of guy. But I will tell you that these are times when we need the Lord and we lean on God, whether it's things in our own personal life or collectively in our culture. And I was thinking of a verse that I have underlined very strongly in, I have several Bibles, as you can imagine, that I've used over the years and do use. I think it's I think it's underlined or highlighted in every one of my Bibles. It's a verse that I'm sure you've heard. Some of you have memorized as I, but we need to hear it again today. Let me sh- just share it with you. It's Psalm 138, 7. 
Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou wilt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. And I always kind of connect that verse in my own mind and heart with the verse in John, chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I, I got a lot of things to say today, but the most important thing that I have to say is to tell you again what you already know. God is in control. God is a sovereign God. He created the entire universe. All the parts that haven't even been discovered that we don't even know exist yet, God created. God is greater than time. He circumscribes time. God was here in the beginning. God will be here in the end, whatever that looks like. And he was here before that. God is eternal. God is in control. And God loves you. And God told you through through his son and his word to let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me, Jesus said. I'm going to go with that. And I think many of you will and do as well. But don't let all these things that are going on in our culture attach themselves to, your, to you and to discourage you. Just look up. Redemption draws nigh. In the meantime, let not your heart be troubled. I got a note from uh, with a contribution yesterday. I just got to share this with you. It was online, uh, and it came from a lady. I'd love to tell you her first name. I'm not going to do it. I never do that, so never fear. But it, it just she's from Seattle, and I'm looking at her address. I hope you're listening today. I really hope she is, and I, I believe she is from what she said. But I'm looking at her address, and I, I found it heartwarming. I um, The first church I ever pastored, I was a very young and had a lot to learn man at that age, at that point. The first church I ever pastored was not so far from where she lives uh, in, in Seattle. And I, I won't say any more than that for her sake. But uh, anyway, I'm looking at your address if you're listening today. But anyway, here's the message she, she sent. When you contribute online, there's a little message box down there. And I'm not suggesting if you do so, you've got to send us a message. You don't have to do anything, just whatever you want to do. But here's what she wrote in in this, in her online contribution yesterday. She said, I am a 91-year-old whose birthday is Friday. Well, that would be tomorrow. She wrote this yesterday. She'll be 91 years old tomorrow. So first, I want to say happy birthday to you. Have a great one. I hope you get to have some cake and celebrate with friends. Happy birthday. She said, on this day for my birthday, I'm giving your ministry a $100 donation. Go Portland. Also, I am considered low income. If I can do this, all lower income seniors can too. She said, any amount they give will help, even if it's only $5. God bless you and yours. What she understands is that we, in our ministry here, we, uh, the, when you give to the ministry, and clearly we, I wouldn't be here today if you didn't, we wouldn't even be having this conversation, but when you give to this ministry, your donation is attached to where you live and the station 
that you're listening. I mean, we can we know because we know what we're on. We're not that big a deal, and I mean, it's easy for us to track. And so, uh, when you give, like in her case, had she not <clears throat> told us go Portland uh, that she was contributing in that direction, this would have gone to the Seattle budget in our accounting, the way we track things in the ministry here. And so that will go to Portland, but should she give next month? And I hope she would do that. And she probably has before. I didn't look that up, but I could, but that would be a Seattle donation and that would go against the Seattle budget. So wherever you listen, we can pretty much tell with the exception of those who are listening online. And we have a special um, on, on streaming on the Internet. And we have a special category for that as well. So people that live in, I mean, we've heard from people overseas and one thing or another in Canada and, and things. And we categorize that differently. But when it's very clear that you are sending a contribution and you, your address is in Seattle, we know that it's Seattle Station. If it's Yakima, we know Yakima. We know Spokane, Tri-Cities, Wenatchee, etc. We got all that charted out. As I said, we're not a big deal. It doesn't. It isn't rocket science for us to do this, but we we do so we can follow it. And if a station in a certain market isn't, uh, you know, Tucson, Bakersfield, those are the two outside of the Northwest here. Uh, if if they're not meeting their budget, eventually we just couldn't carry them. Uh, and that would be true with Seattle, and it will be true with Portland, and it would be true with Spokane and Tri-Cities, whatever. So this is where this is how we handle this, if uh, maybe you haven't wondered. But it was uh, interesting to me that at 91 years old, she gets exactly what we're doing and the way we're doing it. So thank you. And again, I almost said her name. Thank you, ma'am, and happy birthday. Have a great, great birthday. I mentioned on Monday on the program that um, a church in uh, in uh, Canada on the program I was talking about a number of things, but I included that and I included a video. If you didn't hear that, if you didn't hear the program or if you didn't read it, you can go to our website at faithandfreedom.us. And the the I write an article. It's called Faith and Freedom Daily every day, uh, every weekday. And they're on that, our website, and you can go back a couple and um, and find this. It was on on Monday of this week, um, and I in that article I included this story of this pastor in Canada, and the police showed up over the Easter weekend. They were having several special services. It was either Easter Sunday morning or Saturday night. I, it was anyway. It was over the Easter weekend. They showed up at his church. And they came in. There were five uh, men and a woman. The woman was in charge, uh, the police woman. And they told him they were shutting down his church. He stopped preaching or whatever he was doing and told them to leave. And he was not timid about it. He said, get out. He had a, he has a very strong accent. And as it turns out, he's from Poland, which I understand because I was in Poland when the communists had their heel on the or their knee on the throat of of Poland and I know what it was like and I'll tell the story someday but not today but nonetheless that's where he was coming from and he said don't come back he told the police until you have a search warrant he knew his rights 
And he said, get out. And they tried to talk over him, and he kept saying, get out, 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 out. You remember I, I shared that with you well, this morning. Franklin Graham, he wrote an article. And I'm not going to share much of it with you, but he starts his article, Franklin Graham. He starts his article. He said, I don't know who this pastor is, but I kind of like him. And then he tells the story of this pastor. I think most of us have this sense there's a growing hostility Maybe it's been there. Maybe it's a latent hostility, but it seems to be manifesting itself more and more and more toward the church. And more and more they're using, they use anything they can to try to silence and and diminish the importance and the influence of the church of Jesus Christ. But But it seems like they're using this COVID in very, you know, unfair and unwise ways to try to throttle the church. And I think they're going to get a real backlash at some point, and it may be beginning. We've heard about uh, J- John MacArthur in L.A. I mean, he finally got sick and tired of cooperating with these guys because week after week, month after month, they keep saying, well, just two more weeks of you know, of this, and you have a 2,000-seat auditorium. You can have 19 and a half people in there and all this kind of thing. Well, I understand, and the coronavirus, there are people that are denying that it exists. I'm not one of those. It exists. Believe me, we have friends who have died from coronavirus. In fact, I've lost a friend in Yakima not long ago. He died from the virus, but and his wife was infected. She survived it, fortunately. But um, they're, they're, they're using this to, to as a battering ram against everything they disagree with, including... The church, I noticed this morning, again, in Canada, it's not here in the U.S., but it's in Canada, church in Alberta, Canada, has been shut down. The authorities showed up over the uh, over this past week, right after the weekend, and they fenced off the church. It looks like Washington, D.C., miniature. It's got wire fencing all around it and gates, and it's locked. The whole church property. And the Alberta Health, it's in uh, Alberta, Canada, Alberta Health Services announced in a statement that Grace Life Church will stay closed until it can provide proof that it will comply with health restrictions. And there's a whole story there. I'm not going to get into that. But this seems to be happening with great regularity, too much regularity. And I think we should be very concerned about it, not discouraged, not overwhelmed, let not your heart be troubled, but be informed. And that's why we do this program, is to talk about what's going on in our culture and do so from a biblical point of view. And we are able to be on, as I said earlier, in each of your markets where you're listening to this, because people there, hopefully you as well, support the ministry. That's how we do this day after day. And I want to thank you for it. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington. 98009, Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Or you can contribute online, online at faithandfreedom.us, as I said a few moments ago. But this isn't only directed at the church. It is, certainly. But at every institution in our culture. The Pentagon came out this week, and they're saying that the Defense Department is promoting some reading resources, and they're having virtual meetings now That, with the idea, and they're saying this. I mean, it isn't something I've extrapolated from what they're saying. They're saying we want to kill extremism in the ranks of our military. When I saw that, it caught my attention because 
extremism is a pretty subjective word. What does that mean? What What is extreme? And when you begin to look at it, it's all in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? Because it is very subjective. In these virtual meetings, they have asked for all hands to be available and to be in the meetings. We noted that the agenda includes the scandal-plagued Southern Poverty Law Center. And when I saw that, it really got my attention. That's what caused me to decide to talk about that today on the program. The Southern Poverty Law Center is corrupt to the core. And yet Amazon and others have elevated it to be the moral police as far as other organizations, Christian organizations. When I saw Southern Poverty Law Center alongside the Department of Homeland Security as the guiding light for the Pentagon to, in their words, kill extremism, I thought we got to talk about this. The battle against extremism is basically being, um, it's, it's driven by and it's informed by two authors, Ibrahim Kendi, Ibrahim X. Kendi, the author, and Tanishi Coates. They're the resources for the attack on extremism. There's other sources, but they're the main sources. And they're way out there. Extremism, they say, they teach in their books, and our military is now using this to kill extremism in the military. Extremism, according to these guys, Kendi and Coates, includes systemic racism. But what is extremism? Would living out our personal biblical faith be considered extremism? Would sharing our faith with someone be considered extremism? And how does this contribute to our military readiness? I mean, if China attacks us, is this going to help? I think we all know the answer to that. Of course not. Are we in favor of systemic racism? Of course not. America is not racist as we're presented by some within this country. The fact that the Pentagon is placing so much importance and significance on the idea of killing extremism tells me we need to be informed. So I've written an article on this on our faithandfreedom.us. But while this campaign is touted as an effort to root out systemic racism, something none of us want in our military and our culture. As I said earlier, we fought a war over this. But it's casting a much wider net. They always do. They always see a crisis as an opportunity. They admit it now. They used to do that and act on that, but they wouldn't admit that's what they were doing. Now, the left just admits it. They say, yeah, this pandemic has been a great opportunity. We've got to really exploit it to its fullest extent. We can really reset. We can move America forward, progressively speaking. The fact that Southern Southern Poverty Law Center is included as a credible resource should be alarming to all of us who love our country. They are corrupt, as I said, to the core. But they've become the hate group sheriff, thanks to Amazon in great part. Amazon is the largest retailer in the world, as we know, and essentially it is elevated, SPLC, Southern Policy Law Center, to becoming the most influential gatekeeper for its own philanthropic giving. And that of Amazon's customers through the SMILE program, you may be aware of this, if you buy stuff through Amazon, you have the opportunity to give to organizations, any organization, like your church, you could give to our, well, I think, I don't know if you could give to ours or not, but anyway, maybe they have a list. But you can give to charitable organizations through that. I don't advise you to do it, but they have that. It's called the SMILE program. 
keeping with their little smile logo. But they used the Southern Poverty Law Center, who's been proven to be corrupt. This isn't just my evaluation of them. As their um, kind of their thought and uh, their morality sheriff. And they decide which groups are hate groups. And if they're hate groups, then you can't give to them through Amazon. Jeff Bezos says whatever SPLC says is what we do. I mean, basically, that's it. The conservative organizations are considered hate groups, a number of them, because they embrace biblical teaching on homosexuality and and man, one man, one woman marriage, that model, abortion, and all of these kinds of things. If there's anything that they disagree with, then you're out. And it's mostly biblical teaching that disqualifies you. In other words, you're extremist if you are embracing these kinds of, this truth of God's word on these kinds of cultural issues, marriage, gender, human sexuality, and so on. So when SPLC's name appears, it's very troubling. But uh, Representative Jim Banks is a Navy veteran. He's now a representative in our uh, House of Representatives. He's a Navy veteran. He says, when I joined the U.S. Navy Reserves in 2012, I, I swore an oath to bear true faith and allegiance to the United States Constitution. But he said, He's met sailors from all over the world with diverse backgrounds and beliefs and politics and faith. But he said, I've never met one who doesn't take the oath as seriously as I do. He said, that's why I was horrified to see a book on the Navy chief of operations reading list that directly contradicts the Navy's oath. He said, Kendi's book, the one I just told you about, he said, how to be an anti-racist, that's the name of it, is itself extremist, anti-American and divisive. He said its main point is that everything in the world can be divided into two moral categories, racist or anti-racist. But he said in this in this relativistic bubble of thinking, racist isn't always racist. And I'm not quoting him anymore. But if discrimination is creating equity, then it's anti-racist. But if it's creating inequity, it's racist. And that's the whole problem. I mean, it sounds crazy. But that's the whole premise of these books, and our military, the elitists in the military, are pushing this now. A person is only racist if he supports policies that result in or contribute to inequitable outcomes. So racism isn't what you thought it was. It's very different. For example, capitalism is essentially racist, so by extension, capitalists are racist. America is, of course, also racist, and so is the Constitution and those who uphold their oath to defend it because of these reasons. I know it's hard to get, I mean, for us ordinary folks out here, us us deplorables, Kendi in his book advocates establishing a department of anti-racism, which would have veto power over all state, federal, state, and local policy, and would have power to investigate private citizens, businesses, and public officials, I can assure you that would include churches, for the expression of racist opinions. So they would decide whether your opinions are extremist or not. I can assure you that if you believe the Bible, you would be considered extreme. If this begins in our military, where does that leave us? as a nation, in our homeland security. I'm out of time, but thank you so much for being with me today. We will continue our conversation right here tomorrow. 
Thank you for your support. Thank you for your notes of encouragement. And again, thank you for being with us today. Much is happening, but God is with us. Let not your heart be troubled.